But you see, today as we continue in our series, as we look at relationship, not rules, we come to the second commandment. And it says this in Exodus chapter 20, verse 4, you shall not make for yourself an idol of any kind of an image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affections for other gods. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generations of those who reject me. But I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love me and obey my commands. You see, this is the second commandment, the prohibition of building or creating idols, of worshiping things that aren't God. And sadly, this is the most commonly broken of all of the commandments. That may seem strange to us in our culture because today we tend to think of the building of idols as something that we carve out of wood or out of stone. But do you realize we can create idols in our mind? We can create our image of God. And what happens is we start to to create God in our image because we've forgotten that we were created in his image. Anne Lamott, in her book, Bird by Bird, depicts this so well when she says, you can safely assume that you have created God in your own image when it turns out that God hates all of the same people that you do. Isn't that a thought? You see... Well-meaning evangelical Christians in this country have created their image of God. It's what I call the American God. And what's amazing about the American God is the American God seems to care more about our happiness than he does about our holiness. What's amazing is the American God is perpetually consumed with our prosperity, and yet we define prosperity financially. Because the American God cares more about money than morality. You see, when you and I create these idols in our mind and in our life, we end up with a small God. And when you have a small God, you have big problems. But if you worship the one true God, you not only have a big God, but if you have a big God, you have small problems. So let me ask you today, do you have big problems or small problems? Do you have a big God or do you have a small God? You see, it's a story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Three God-fearing men who were ripped out of their culture and drug off as captives into the Babylonian culture. They were commanded to bow down to an idol and they teach us how to handle and how to deal with the idols of this world because these were men of conviction, not men of comfort. I'd like you to take your Bible, turn to Daniel chapter 3, and we're going to do something a little different today. We're going to listen to the reading of God's Word. Many of you have the Version Bible app. And if you go on there... You can find Mitchell Berean Church on there, and every week there is a synopsis of the sermon. There's the sermon outline, all the different points of the sermon. You can take notes there. But what we're going to do today is we're going to use that Bible app, and we're just going to listen to the reading of God's Word. So turn with me to Daniel chapter 3. Chapter 3, Nebuchadnezzar's Gold Statue. 
King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then he sent messages to the high officers, officials, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the provincial officials to come to the dedication of the statue he had set up. So all these officials came and stood before the statue King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then a herald shouted out, People of all races and nations and languages, listen to the king's command. When you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and other musical instruments, bow to the ground to worship King Nebuchadnezzar's gold statue. Anyone who refuses to obey will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. So at the sound of the musical instruments, all the people, whatever their race or nation or language, bowed to the ground and worshipped the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. But some of the astrologers went to the king and informed on the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, Long live the king. You issued a decree requiring all the people to bow down and worship the gold statue when they hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and other musical instruments. That decree also states that those who refuse to obey must be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whom you have put in charge of the province of Babylon. They pay no attention to you, your majesty. They refuse to serve your gods and do not worship the gold statue you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage and ordered that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought before him. When they were brought in, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you refuse to serve my gods or to worship the gold statue I have set up? I will give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue I have made when you hear the sound of the musical instruments. But if you refuse, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And then what god will be able to rescue you from my power? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. The Blazing Furnace Nebuchadnezzar was so furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that his face became distorted with rage. He commanded that the furnace be heated seven times hotter than usual. Then he ordered some of the strongest men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So they tied them up and threw them into the furnace, fully dressed in their pants, turbans, robes, and other garments. And because the king in his anger had demanded such a hot fire in the furnace, the flames killed the soldiers as they threw the three men in. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, securely tied, fell into the roaring flames. But suddenly, Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and exclaimed to his advisors, Didn't we tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? Yes, your majesty, we certainly did, they replied. Look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see four men unbound, walking around in the fire unharmed, and the fourth looks like a god. Then Nebuchadnezzar came as close as he could to the door of the flaming furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out! Come here! So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stepped out of the fire. 
Then the high officers, officials, governors, and advisors crowded around them and saw that the fire had not touched them. Not a hair on their heads was singed, and their clothing was not scorched. They didn't even smell of smoke. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel to rescue his servants who trusted in him. They defied the king's command and were willing to die rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore I make this decree. If any people, whatever their race or nation or language, speak a word against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they will be torn limb from limb and their houses will be turned into heaps of rubble. There is no other god who can rescue like this. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to even higher positions in the province of Babylon. This is not the first time that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have defied the king's order. In Daniel chapter 1, they are commanded to eat food that God's told them not to eat. And so they successfully negotiate an alternative. God blesses them for that, and they end up with these positions of power within the providence of Babylon. Isn't that amazing? They come as captives, as slaves, and they end up in these positions of power. It's what you and I may call the American dream. They've got power, they've got position, they've got possessions. Everything is going great because they obeyed God. And then what happens? There is a change in their circumstances. You see, the king sets up this huge golden idol, 90 feet tall, 9 feet wide. Picture that with me for a moment. It's not hard. It's on the plains, okay, where we live, Nebraska. You can see forever, right? It's good and flat, and you see this nine-story golden statue. Can you imagine when the sun hit that, how brilliant and how far it could be seen? You see, it was obvious. But some of the idols in our life are not that obvious. So how do you detect the idols in your life hidden in your heart that are not that obvious? Take a look at where you spend your time, your treasure, and your talents. This week, I want to challenge you to comb through your calendar and just ask yourself a simple question. Where do I find Christ in my calendar? How much time do I have for his truth? What what are the things that I'm scheduling in my life? Is part of the schedule me saying I'm blocking out time for Jesus and the things of his kingdom? Then I want you to comb through your checkbook or your credit card statement. I want you to ask yourself the question, where am I spending his treasure? It's not yours. You see, where we spend our time, our talents, and our treasure reveals what really is important, what we're worshiping today. Now, you notice that their circumstances completely changed. And this is where many of us get caught up in whining and complaining, right? Notice they didn't whine. They witnessed. And many of us are wasting huge amounts of time today whining about our circumstances instead of witnessing about Jesus Christ. Here's the reality. Your circumstances will change, but Jesus Christ doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. 
you and I need to stop trying to build our foundation on the circumstances and start building it on Jesus Christ. Because it's here that you and I see, secondly, a command. And there's two commands here. One is the command of Jesus Christ not to bow to idols, and the other is the command of the king and the culture to bow to the idol. What voice are you going to listen to? The voice of Christ or the voice of the culture? You see, Satan would love nothing more than for you to bow down to the things of this world. It's exactly what happened to Jesus as he was tempted in the wilderness. Matthew chapter 4, verse 8. It says that Satan showed Jesus all the kingdoms of the world, and he said, I'll give all this to you if you bow down and worship me. Church, what's really going on here is the war on worship. And the church has become so sidetracked with worship wars today. We are fighting the wrong war. Because when we talk about worship wars today, we tend to think about style. We tend to think about hymns versus praise songs. But it is not about style. It is about your soul. You see, here's the reality. Hymns or praise songs or any other kind of song, that's a preference. And and here's what's sad to me today. When we make it about our preference of praise, it's no longer worship because it's become about me. It's not about the Messiah. It's about my preference of praise. Look, when we come to church, it's not about, did I like the worship this morning? Jesus, did you like the worship? Because Jesus, this was really all about you. You see, you and I have to ask ourselves the question, is the culture or Christ going to be the command that I live out in my life? Because the culture is commanding you today to disrespect the things of God. And you have a choice as to to what you're going to do because it's here that we come to a, a cost. And there's two costs. The first cost is the cost of building the idol. The second is the cost of bowing to it or not bowing to it. What do you think it cost the king and the country to build a nine-story golden statue? That wasn't cheap. Let me ask you, what is it costing our country today? Our idol worship. What is it costing our kids? What is the price that we're paying? And we're absolutely wasting our time and our resources and our energy and our talents on golden statues. On things that make us feel good, but, but they don't do anything for our faith. And you notice here, there is a cost to bowing to the statue and there's a cost to not bowing. And the cost to not bowing is they're threatened that they will lose their life. Jesus said, consider the cost before you claim to be a Christian. And we don't talk about that a lot today, right? But, but there is a cost to being a Christ follower. He talked about a building. And he said the person who doesn't consider the cost and just starts building and he runs out of resources and he never finishes it looks like a fool. And there are some of us today, we're not going to finish the race of faith. We're going to throw in the towel and we're going to walk away from truth because we've never considered the cost 
Because we were in Christianity for the comfort, not for the cost. Let me tell you something. If you signed up to be a Christian, it involves a cross. And a cross involves crucifixion. It's hard. It's painful. And that's the reality that we have to embrace today as the church. This isn't about a life of comfort. This is about a life of conviction. This is about a life of commitment. And this is a life that truly in this life is going to cost us. You see, these were faithful men. They weren't fair-weather followers. What's the difference? Well, faithful followers base it on Christ. Fair-weather fans base it on their circumstances. Are you basing your decisions on Christ or on your circumstances? Because here's what many of us are doing today. We're basing our decisions on the outcome instead of obedience. And if it looks like it's going to work out the way that we want, we're willing to walk out God's will. Let me tell you, that's not God's will. That's walking according to your wants. That's walking according to your way. You notice here that nothing changed with these three men. They were absolutely steadfast in their commitment to Jesus Christ. Nothing changed for them. What changed? The culture changed. And because the culture changed, their biblical beliefs just happened to stand out that much more. You know what's happening in our country? There are some churches that are changing, but the truth is the church is not changing. Christ is not changing. He's not saying, oh, okay, well, I'll change my mind on my commandments. No, Christ is not changing. The culture's changing. And that means that our biblical beliefs just stand out that much more. That means that there is that much more opposition. But I want you to notice something here. There was also a cost to bowing to the idol. He took his strongest soldiers, right? These were like these huge, big, buff guys. These were the special forces of his army. And what happened to them when they got near the fire? They were consumed. What, what did they do? They, they cowered to the culture. And they were consumed. And I want to remind you, there is a cost to bowing to idols. If you bow to idols, you're going to get burned. And some of us today, we're bowing to the wrong things and we're getting burned and we're bearing the scars of that. You see, it's here that we see the crowd. And, and the crowd always goes along with the culture. And it's amazing to me in our culture when we watch the news, how they base what's right or decisions on on the crowd. Well, all these people wanted it. Do you realize over in Ireland they just repealed abortion? They've said it's it's okay to murder babies is what they've said. Now let me ask you, is that right or wrong? It's wrong, right? But the majority are going along with it. The crowd are saying, here's here's what we think is what we want to do. And so therefore, because the crowd are in agreement, somehow makes it right. No, it doesn't. And the question that you and I have to ask ourselves today is this question. Are we going to follow the crowd or are we going to follow Jesus Christ? You see, it brings us to a choice. And every one of us, we have a choice. I'm either going to choose to follow Christ and his commandments, walk out his will because I believe in his word, or I'm going to walk according to the world. Now, you'll notice this is a life and death decision here. And... The challenge for me as I prepared this message is this. Do I love my life more than I love the Lord? 
Or do I love the Lord more than I love my life? How much do I love Jesus? The problem is most of us think in this country that we're not making life and death decisions on a daily basis. We tend to think that, that unlike Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who were faced with, okay, either bow to the idol and live or, or, or not bow and die, <clears throat> that our decisions are not life and death, but they are life and death. Because if you believe the Word of God that says that sin brings forth death, then how many decisions on a daily basis are life and death decisions? It's just we don't see them as life and death decisions. Therefore, we don't take them very seriously. Now, you'll notice here that it's not just ourselves that the choices impact. Your choices don't just affect your life. They will infect or protect the lives of your kids, your grandkids, your great-grandkids. That's what the Word of God says. Now, every generation wants it better for the next generation. I believe God has put within the human heart this desire for things to be better for our kids than they were for us. The problem is it's the way we're defining better in our country today. God defines better as biblical. That if you want things to be better for your kids, in other words, if you want your kids to be blessed, then you need to walk out the Word of God. Believe the Bible. But you know how we've defined better for our kids in this country? Easier. We want things to be easier for our kids than it was for us. But let me ask you, when you had to struggle and things were hard, what did that do? Apart from mature you and grow you up a little bit, it also caused you to be dependent on God, right? See, we tend to think that that hard times are terrible and and we need to create a problem-free life for our kids. Let me tell you what happens when people spend extended periods of time in space. We take away the pressure of gravity, right? Things are easier. You can float around. You don't have to work as hard. Do you know what happens? You start to atrophy. Your muscles waste away. Your bones become brittle. Why? Because there's no pressure on your life. We have equated today that we need to live a pressure-free life, a problem-free life. It's not that. We need the presence of the Lord of life. And if we want to bless our kids, we need to stop trying to make it easier for our kids and start living out the Bible for our kids. The truth is we have made it so easy and so good for our kids today that it's bad. Things are hard. And you and I have got to ask ourselves the question, do we want to bless the next generation or burden the next generation? Because they don't need it to be easier. They need Jesus. Now, I'm privileged to have my dad here today. My dad accepted Christ as an adult. And he had a choice Am I going to continue to follow the culture, cower to the crowd, or walk out Christ's commands in his life? And my dad chose to walk a different path. He chose to follow God. He blessed his son. He blessed his grandkids. He will end up blessing his grandkids, his great-grandkids. Some of you have been blessed by, by... 
God's gift that he's given to me in, in teaching the word of God. But, but you know where that blessing started? Right there. Dad, thank you publicly for being willing to walk out the word of God when things weren't always easy. And church, I want to tell you, we have a choice. You see, it's here that we come to control. And this is the reason that Nebuchadnezzar made these commands on God's people. He wanted to control them. It's the reason that the guys went ahead and and snitched on them. Because they wanted the control that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had. But let me ask you a question. Was Nehemiah ever in control? Or no, Nehemiah. Um, the king, Nebuchadnezzar, was he ever in control? No. He wasn't even in control of himself. You see, his, his emotion, his anger, he couldn't even control his own emotions. It says his face got contorted and, and he made foolish decisions that ended up killing his own people. Were the guys who snitched on them, were they in control? No, jealousy was what was controlling their life. For some of us today, anger is controlling our life. For some of us today, jealousy is controlling our life. Let me ask you this, was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in control? Well, they're in control of their emotions, but their life was completely out of control. Their circumstances were completely out of control. You see, it's here that you and I discover that the only one who is ever really in control is Jesus Christ. And the Bible says that he is seated at the right hand of the Father. Why is Christ sitting? Because everything's under control. The next time you find yourself in that place where your tendency is to panic and to to focus on anxiety, I want you to do this. Stop focusing on your panic and your anxiety and start focusing on the Almighty because here's the reality. Your Redeemer is sitting on the throne. He is firmly in control. It's here in the midst of their control that we see the challenge. And the challenge here is twofold. It's a challenge for God's people and a challenge against God. And the challenge of God's people is for them to change their mind. Nebuchadnezzar says, I'll give you a second chance. Do you realize Satan is the king of second chances? Opportunity may only knock once, but temptation knocks over and over and over. And the question that we have to ask ourselves today is this. What could cause me to change my mind for Christ? And for some of you, adversity. Because you signed up for the comfort Christian cruise. Okay, You didn't sign up for, hey, we're getting on a warship and we're going to war. And so things start to get hard and you're like, man, if this is what it means to be a Christian, I'm done. I hear that all the time. Because... You created your own image of God that's not the real God. You've created your own version of Christianity that's not really the Christianity of the Bible. But you notice here, it's also a challenge against God. Nebuchadnezzar challenged God when he set up this huge golden idol. But he also challenged God when he said, what God will rescue you now? What God is able to rescue you from my power? In other words, I'm more powerful than any God on the planet. Now, let me ask you, was God up to that challenge? Yes. God showed up and did something that caused 
Nebuchadnezzar to have to get out of his throne and jump to his feet because he was not in control and he caused him to completely change political policy, right? Here's the thing you and I need to understand. Let God fight his own battles. Some of you are running around and and you are the freelance warrior for Jesus on social media and you're fighting all of God's battles on Facebook. You know what you're doing? You're just alienating people. Here's the thing. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they didn't fight for God. They were faithful to God. And if you want to join God in the fight, you just need to show up and be faithful. You don't need to yell at people and lose control. You see, it's here that you and I see their confidence. And I love this. Their confidence was in Christ and not in their circumstances. As long as you are building your life on your circumstances and not on Christ, as long as the circumstances are good, you'll feel confident. But the minute your circumstances start to crumble, your confidence will crumble. You see, their confidence was firmly in Christ. They didn't even have to think about what they were going to say. Notice here, it's not like when they were given the opportunity to change their mind to second chance that they said, okay, let's have a powwow and talk about it. Okay, church, there's some things we don't need to talk about. We know. We have a conviction. We've already made a decision. The problem is we forget when that decision has to be made. You don't make life and death decisions in the battle. You make them ahead of the battle. When does a soldier start to sharpen their sword? Is it in the midst of the battle? No, it's before the battle ever begins, right? We know the war is coming. We just don't know when. And so that means we've got to be prepared. You better know what you believe now. And we're heading into more and more confusion in this country, more and more conflict. This country will continue to be divided because as the culture goes more and more to bowing to the idols of this world and our beliefs start to shine more and more, we are going to be persecuted more and more. And you better know right now what your decisions for Jesus Christ are. The problem is most of us, we're waiting until we're in the midst of the battle. And because we wait, we waver. Can I ask you, what would have happened if they'd compromised? Man, it would have been so easy to compromise, right? I mean, think about all the good excuses. And we justify compromise as Christians every day. Well, everybody's doing it. The crowd. And so we use the crowd as a justification for not following through on our convictions for Jesus Christ. Well, I did it, but I didn't really mean it. We've used that one, right? Or, well, I'll do this now and I'll just ask forgiveness later. But what would have happened? The whole world was watching, by the way. They were center stage. What are they going to do? I mean, they've they've talked a good talk. But are they going to walk the talk? Do you realize whether you like it or not, the world is watching you? And if you claim to be a Christian, you're under a microscope. And they're watching to see, is what they say they believe, is what they sing on Sunday, what they're going to live out on Monday? You see, it really comes down to, am I absolutely convinced? Is my conviction based on Jesus Christ? Or is it based on my comfort or something else? But you see, they didn't compromise. They conformed. And I love this part of the story. They conformed to Christ. 
You have a choice. You will either conform to the culture, you will conform to Jesus Christ. Do you notice how much pressure the culture brought to try to get them to conform? Peer pressure in front of the whole world. The pressure of of a legal system. The pressure of we'll throw you into the fire and and we'll kill you. There were all these pressures. Here's what the world wants to do today. The world wants to pressure you into its mold. Romans 12, 1 and 2 tells us that what we conform to will transform. Are you being conformed to the culture, conformed to the image of Jesus Christ? Because if you are being conformed to Christ, you will be transformed by truth. But if it's the culture, you'll be transformed by trash. And some of us today, we've got this garbage in our life. Why? Because we're not being conformed by God. We're being conformed by this world and the things of this world. You see, it's here that we see the companionship of Jesus Christ. And I love this. Jesus meets them right where they're at. Notice with me that Jesus doesn't save them from the fire. He saves them in the fire. And there is a big difference, church. It is not about pursuing a problem-free life. It is about pursuing the presence of the Lord of life. And so many of us have gotten sidetracked in the church because we think that the purpose is a problem-free life. The purpose is the presence of the Lord of life. And you notice that not a hair on their heads was singed. Now, I know some of you are not Boy Scouts, right? And, And you've been like me at times. You've started a fire with gasoline. Okay, I would not recommend that. And it got really hot really quick, and it came back. And, and some of you, hopefully just the guys, have really hairy arms, right? And how quick did that hair singe? Almost instantly it was gone, right? Can you imagine being in the furnace that is heated seven times hotter than usual, that consumed and killed guys before they even got in it, and they're walking around? And they don't even smell like smoke. The other night... Uh, my dad, and pray for, pray for my dad, Bill. He heads home tomorrow, but he, uh, he went out down to the lake partying with the grandkids, and I had to go get him uh, late at night. But they're all sitting around a campfire, and they're singing praise songs. It was out of control. And, and I go down there, and, and I get him, and we get in the truck, and I'm like, man, you reek of a campfire. I mean, it's instant, that smell of smoke, right? Now, what did Nebuchadnezzar see? I see four guys, and what did he say? They're not bound. Didn't we bind them up and throw them in? Do you see what the culture does? It binds us up. Do you see what Christ does? He breaks the bonds. And here's the reality. When we're living in the presence of Christ, we're no longer bound. We're free to walk about. And don't take that freedom for granted. Don't don't squander that incredible grace that God has given you. Don't allow that to cause you to go back to a life of sin that just is going to bind you up again. And one of the things that breaks my heart as a pastor is to watch people who've been freed, who have been set free, and their ropes have been broken, and they go right back to that same kind of life of bondage because they cower to the crowd instead of living for Jesus Christ. You see, it's here that we discover what we're comfortable with. Their comfort was in the fire with Christ. Isn't that amazing? The last place our flesh would ever want to be is in the fire. 
But if Jesus is in the fire, that's where our faith wants to be. You and I need to understand that we fight fire with faith. And I want to ask you, where are you more comfortable today? Are you more comfortable in the furnace with Jesus? In the fire with Jesus? In the problems with Jesus? Or with the crowd? Because if you claim to be a Christian and you really are more comfortable following the crowd than you are with Jesus Christ, then I want to challenge you, you may not be a Christian. If you claim to be a Christian and yet you're more of a chameleon to where your beliefs blend into where no one really knows what you believe, you might not be a Christian. You see, it's here that we come to the credit, lastly. And I love this, Christ gets the credit. Church, he gets the praise. The reality is this, it was never about the problems, it was always about his praise. Nebuchadnezzar challenged God, what God can save you now? And what happened? Political policy was completely changed. And all of a sudden, instead of the fear of having to bow down to an idol, there was this freedom to live out their faith. We don't change political policy by fighting through the flesh. It is through a life of faith. And I'm going to tell you, God can change the minds of men. Do you believe that today? I love the fact that that Nebuchadnezzar completely changed the political policy. You see, it wasn't just that there was freedom in the fire. There was now freedom to live out their faith throughout the whole kingdom. But you and I have got to make a decision. Are we going to make it about the problems or about his praise? And when God shows up in powerful ways in our life, who's going to get the credit? Am I giving the credit to Christ? Or am I going to try to keep the credit for myself? And there are some of us today, we're we're living in the spotlight. We're trying to steal the Lord's limelight. He was the one who did the miracle in the fire. He's the one that did the miracle in your life. Because here's the reality. Without the cross of Jesus Christ, we will be consumed by the fires of hell, right? Jesus Christ showed up, but what did he do? He took away the pain of the fire. He took away the problems of the fire. He not only dealt with the fire now, he dealt with fire for eternity in our lives so that we could be free. Free to what? Run around and sin? No, free to share the Savior. Are you going to live a life of whining or a life of witnessing for Jesus? Because here's the thing. You don't have to live in fear. You can live out your faith. This morning we have an incredible opportunity to come to the table. And as you come this morning, you don't have to be a partner or a member of Mitchell Brian. We ask that you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ. We ask that you've confessed your sin and you've come clean. And here in a moment I'm going to pray and Ken's going to play a little bit of music and you're going to have the freedom to just come. And, and to be reminded of the incredible sacrifice and what Jesus went through so that we wouldn't have to be burned. You see, as you come to the table, I want you to sift your heart and I want you to ask yourself this question. Are there any idols in my life? 
Are there any things that I'm trusting in that are not Jesus? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time. I thank you for your word, and I thank you for how you speak to us. And God, it's in these still moments where we come to the table that we're reminded of the incredible sacrifice that you paid. And I pray that we would sift our hearts and we would, we would see, you would show us those areas where we're not trusting you. Help us to come in freedom this morning for we pray these things in your name. Amen. We bow our hearts. We bend our knees. Oh, Spirit, come make us humble. We turn our eyes from evil things. Oh, Lord, we cast down our idols. Lord, give us clean hands. Give us pure hearts. Let us not lift our souls to another. Give us clean hands. Give us pure hearts. Let us not lift our souls to another. And oh God, let us be a generation that seeks, that seeks your face. Of Jacob, and oh God, let us be a generation that seeks, that seeks your face, oh God of Jacob. We bow our hearts, we bend our knees, oh Spirit. We turn our eyes from evil things. Oh Lord, we cast down our idols. Give us clean hands. Give us pure hearts. Let us not lift our souls to another. Give us clean hands, give us pure hearts, let us not lift our souls to another, and oh God, let us be a generation that seeks, that seeks your face, oh God of Jacob, and oh God, let us be generation that seeks, that seeks your face, oh God, of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Give us clean hands, give us pure hearts, let us not Lift our souls to another. Give us clean hands. Give us pure hearts. 
Let us not lift our souls to another. And oh God, let us be a generation that seeks, that seeks your face. Oh God of Jacob, and oh God, let us be a generation that seeks, that seeks your face. Oh God of Jacob, oh God of Jacob, the only living God, the only one who saves. And oh God, let us be a generation that seeks, that seeks your face. Oh God of Jacob, and oh God, let us be generation that seeks, that seeks your face. Oh God of